0: All right, well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. It's very good to see all of you. If you weren't here last week, let me say a happy new year to you. If you are a guest with us this week, I also want to say a happy new year to you. We're very glad that you're here with us uh, this morning, and I am in particular glad to uh, direct you to grab a Bible around you and open up to the book of Luke. I'm glad to be getting back to the book of Luke. Um, it's on page 564 in the Bibles around you if you don't have one. And then literally, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, but we've been out of the book of Luke for about three months, and it was important for us to take some time and talk about You know, how the church is to be structured, how the church is to be led. And so we talked about how the church is to be elder led, deconserved, congregationally governed. We did that for a number of weeks. And now we are getting back into the book of Luke Uh, behind the scenes. We're in the process of rewriting the constitution and bylaws. And we'll be bringing that to you in the months to come, uh, probably towards the end of spring, around the time school is getting out. Get that into your hands. Uh, for you to read, look through, pray, ask questions, talk about, and we'll have some chance to do that and then ultimately bring that to a vote uh, that you guys will vote on. But very glad to be getting back into the book of Luke and um, where we left off at the end of chapter nine. We're picking back up chapter 10. It's kind of is really interesting that we you know broke it right there in in two ways one just from a thematic standpoint and then one from just kind of a calendar standpoint and so thematically not numerically but thematically this is kind of the halfway point of the book of luke all right chapters 1 through 9 and then 10 through 24 um, chapters one through nine deal primarily with the person of Jesus, who he is, the son of God, second person of the Trinity, the Messiah, the long uh, awaited, promised one that was to come, the one who's going to seek and save the lost. And, and so it's really the first uh, nine chapters dealing with the person of Jesus, who he is. Chapters 10 through 24 kind of turn and, and start really dialing in on the work of Jesus. What it is that he did, his life in the place of your life. He lived a perfect, sinless life in the place of our imperfect, sinful lives. And he died a death on the cross in our place for our sins. And he rose again to give us a gift we could never earn, forgiveness of that sin. And so it's really dying in on the work of Jesus. So you've got the person of Jesus, you've got the work of Jesus in the second half. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves now. The end of chapter nine says that Jesus has set his face to head towards Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. And that's where we, you know, pick it up from a thematic standpoint. We, we broke it right there at kind of the thematic halfway point, not numeric. There's 24 chapters and I can do a little bit of math, not much, but I can do that part. From a calendar standpoint, it's really interesting that we broke it, you know, right here, um, because today's January the eighth. It's a it's it's a new year, and this time of the year, I normally do kind of a a state of the church. You know, what's going on in the church? Where are we going? What's the vision? What's that look like? But Luke chapter ten verses one through twenty really lays that out for us, and so we are going to do that, but we're going to do it by making our way through. Uh, The first 20 verses of Luke and the next week, we'll continue on with the next several section. And we'll just keep doing that till uh, till we finish the book. We'll take a couple more breaks, but that's kind of where we're going to go. And so um, this this, you know, from a calendar standpoint, state of the church and kind of talking about that and breaking it right here. Like, especially as we think about uh, the song that 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 Lee sang and we all sang, but she kind of introduced to us this idea of facing a task unfinished. That, that, that we do face a task and finish, like globally, there's eight billion, around eight billion people on the planet. Three billion of those eight billion live in one of over 6,000 people groups who have, who, who have no gospel presence, they, they are unreached, unengaged, never heard of Jesus. Three billion people. So we have a task to take the gospel, all right, to uh, Jesus says, you know, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's literally ponta ethne in the Greek it's, it's all the people groups. And so there's over six thousand that haven't been reached. So there's, you know, a task unfinished in that regards. And then right here in, in Noensville, in this little village of Nowensville, with the growth that's happening here. You drive around, there's, you know, there's there's stuff going up everywhere. There's homes being built Everywhere. All of these homes, and so statistically, you, you've got all of the, you know, just all the statistics that are growing. Eighty percent of Middle Tennessee is unchurched. So you've got all this growth. You've got eighty percent that's unchurched. So globally and locally, we have this huge responsibility, and this huge opportunity, and this huge task that's unfinished. And so the question that we then ask is, well, how do we accomplish this global, you know, impacting task? And there's absolutely strategic and and visionary leadership and partnering with others that comes into play with all of this. And we partner with a myriad of different groups. All right, so that's for sure. But, But just like it is with so many, many, many things a lot of times the greatest impact in so many things are the seemingly small things that are done consistently over and over and over for a long, long time that add up to change things. Now, that's how you fulfill your New Year's resolution to get healthy You make a small change to your diet. You make a small change to your exercise routine. You do that for a long, long, long time. All right, so small things done over and over and over again for a long time. That's how you fulfill your New Year's resolution. And spiritually, that's how we fulfill Jesus's great commission. Small things, seemingly small things done consistently over a long, long time. And so Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20 lays out these seemingly small, and if you have any background in Christianity at all, pretty familiar things. Okay. Lays out all these things and it says, if we do them continually, okay, like novel idea here, we, we take Jesus at his word and do what he says. He will alter the spiritual landscape of this great town that we love so, so very much. And so let's get into it. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20, page 564, in the Bibles around you. We'll read the first two verses together. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he set, him, he set his face towards Jerusalem, chapter 9, verse 53. He's headed that way and he's telling them go out and two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so here's what's going on. Back in chapter 9, Jesus had sent the 12. He had sent his just, just His 12 disciples, and He had sent them out to cast out demons, to heal diseases, to preach the kingdom of God. And now, He's sending out a larger group. Some of your translations are going to say 70. Some are going to say 72. There's a minor difference there. But He's sending out a larger group beyond just the apostles, beyond just the disciples. All right. And that's hammering home the fact that gospel work is not just for apostles or even like today elders. It's not just it's for everybody, everyone who claims the name of Christ, Christ's work, the the work that he gives to his people is not just for professional paid people. It's for every single person who claims the name of Christ, every single one of us. I think that's why he doesn't give us the names. Of these seventy folks, we have no names recorded here, and I think what what's happening here is Luke is giving his original readers and us as well just a huge shot of encouragement and helping us to see that these like integral people in the ministry of Jesus were just ordinary men and women who loved Him. They weren't paid staff members. They but, but, but just like today, they were the lifeblood of the church. So who were they? They were volunteers. They were volunteers. The lifeblood of Jesus' ministry. The lifeblood of the church today. Unknown by name to us. Very much known by name to God. And so they were just folks who, like so many of you in here... And just saying, hey, I'm going to give a portion of my time to this specific ministry right here. This, spe- you know, specific thing in the service of God in this particular way. That's what I'm going to do. Like in here, we might say, hey, I'm going to leave a community group. I'm going to host a community group. I'll get here early and greet folks at the door. I'll find someone to mentor and pour into or, or maybe I need to be poured into by someone else. I'll go to Central Asia with John. I'll go to the Dominican Republic with Chad. I'm going to teach teenagers. I'm going to teach children. I'm going to teach little ones. And I'm going to care for them in this hour so that their parents who are worn out can have a chance to come in here, hear the gospel, and be refreshed for a moment. I'm going to serve God by serving people in the church and in the community. Now, that's these 70 people here, these 72 people. No different than many faithful, uh, Christ loving, gospel fueled volunteers throughout all the ages, across all geographic locations, all the churches over the last thousands of years. Folks who minister and work hard for the glory of God, the love of Christ's church, and the good of those around him. Not for a name, not for recognition. Those are my heroes. So many of you guys. And so Jesus sends these folks out and he says, verse 2, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Okay, The harvest is plentiful. We need to hear the harvest is plentiful. And what he's talking about with harvest here is souls. He's saying that the world is like a field. And that there are and, there, and people are plants. And there are people who are wheat. And Christ is going to gather them. And there are people who are tares. And they are going to face fire. And God's planning a huge, plentiful harvest from every time in history, from every people group that's ever existed or will exist. And so the harvest is plentiful then when Jesus said it, and now spilling over plentiful. And so, friends, that should encourage us hugely. Because I'm not trying to be presumptuous, you know, presuming on God, but in a way I am because we can, because he showed himself to be faithful over and over. But if we take Jesus at his word here, the harvest is plentiful. And so there's good days ahead. God's going to save His people. He has a harvest. It's plentiful. He's going to do it. It's sitting out there. Three billion people who've never even heard the name of Jesus. Right here in no 150% growth over the last couple of years. 80% of whom are unreached, unengaged, unchurched. All right, the harvest is plentiful. Be excited about that. There's just one problem. Verse 2, but the laborers are few. But the laborers are few. And so what does Jesus say to do in the the face of that? And He said, then the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so number one in your notes, pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. Prayer, and you need to hear this, prayer is God's appointed means to accomplish the task of laborers going into the field. Right? It is God's appointed means for laborer increase. Jesus doesn't say, well, go enlist a bunch of people, set up a recruiting center, set up a program. Not that any of those things are necessarily bad, but what He says to do is pray for laborers. right? To pray for more laborers and pray for laborers that we know of. Chris Crowder, we prayed for this morning in East Africa. Saeed Akhman Baev, who we partner with in Central Asia. IMB, which is led by David Platt, North American Mission Board, is led by Kevin Ezell, the Tennessee Baptist Convention, led by Randy Davis. We need to be praying for these folks. Grace Church, led by Tom Agnew. We need to be praying for these folks. And and, and we do that weekly here. We kind of have a rotation. I don't know if you've Picked up on that, but we have a rotation. We're praying through all of these once a week. It's about every six or seven weeks. We pray for one of those. Spotlight one of those. But would you join us at home with them? Alright, so we need to be praying for those, but we also need to be praying for more. Because if, if prayer is Jesus' appointed means to increase laborers, and if He's Lord and sovereign over all things, all authority has been handed to Him in heaven and on earth, then why don't we take Him at His word when He says, hey, the laborers are few, so here, pray for more. And He's telling us, I'm, I have all authority. I'm in control of all things. Pray for more. And what is He going to do? He's going to send more. And so we're praying for more you know, globally, but we also need to pray for more laborers right here amongst us. We need laborers in the refugee and immigrant communities up and down Nolensville Corridor. We need laborers to go into those places. We need laborers to help us start and, and run and English as a second language ministry out of this church. We have so many people who are coming to the food pantry and, and very little English. We could bless them and help them so much teaching them English, loving them, and pointing them to Christ. We need laborers who just be consistent in evangelism and invitation. Just be consistent. And so here's what I'd like to challenge you to do on this idea of prayer. Get a pen and paper. I want you to write this down. Do we have this on the screen? Pop it up on the screen. This is something we gave out at Christmas time. But, and we challenged you for 30 days. But I want to just challenge you, make this a habit. To pray three minutes a day for the church. Three minutes a day. And pray three things. Number one, pray that we would love one another in the church. I mean, Jesus tells us that's how people will know that we are His if we love one another. So pray that we would love one another in church. Number two, pray that we would love others outside our church in tangible ways. And pray that we will see the lostness of the world not be angry, but grieved and moved to action. Alright? I.e., that there would be more labors. And we would be those laborers. We'll come back to that in a minute. And then number three, pray for the pastors slash elders of the church to lead the church as God would have them and pray for us, that being the congregation, to follow and encourage them. Those three things. Three minutes a day across the year. Those three simple things. Pray that. Please. And watch the Lord answer that. He says, Pray. I've got all authority. Pray. And so the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and so let's pray for them, all right? And let's be them. A lot of times that's the way God answers prayer. We have, you know, we're to see this thing we need a need here and he's like, "Meet it." I want that I put it on your heart. I want you to meet it. And so we are to pray for them and we're to be them. Because that's what Jesus tells these guys. He tells them, hey, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And then verse three, he says, oh, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he's saying not only pray, but he's saying also go and do the work. And so that's number two in your notes. Go to your neighbors in the nations. All right, go. Look at verse three. Let's go ahead and read through verse eight. Go your way. So he's told them, Pray. Now he says, I also want you to go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. He's saying there's no time to dilly-dally and chit-chat. we got work to do. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. And whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And so again, facing this task unfinished, we've got to pray for labors. Number two, we're to go to our neighbors and the nations. The same Lord Jesus who calls us to follow Him is the same Lord Jesus who commands us to preach the Gospel. Every cross-carrying disciple has a cross-proclaiming witness before the world. Christ. And so here Jesus says, go your way. Matthew 28, where we have the great commission, the connotation there is kind of as you are going like you're, you're going, you're living your life. Alright? And so you've got, when you look at the scriptures, you've got both kind of a definitive, like I'm going to go here specifically. Alright? I'm going to go to Central Asia. I'm going to go to the Dominican Republic. I'm going to go to um, apartment complexes up Nolensville Road. I'm going to do these specific things. I'm going to my community. We're going to have a block party. We're going to invite people. We're going to get to know them. How can we minister to them? I eventually want to share the gospel with them. A definitive, I'm going there. But then you also have this kind of as you're going, like you're just living your life. That's the bulk of our lives. The bulk of our lives isn't this definitive, I'm doing this, it's just kind of as you're going, as you're living your life, as you're going to work, as you're going to school, as you're going out to eat, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to get your hair cut or colored or whatever you ladies do. As you're going, you are an ambassador for Christ. As you're going, you speak for Him. Because if Acts 17 is true, that God is the One who sovereignly sets the time that we live in and the boundaries that, that we live in, if that's true, then it's not by accident that we live where we live and we work where we work and we play where we play and we shop where we shop. That the great... Universal missiologist has placed strategically his missionaries in certain places. And so the question's not, are you a missionary? The question's not, you know, are you to do these things? The question is, like, are you doing them and are you doing them well? It's not a question of, are you a missionary? It's just, are you, are you living it out? You are one. If you are in Christ, He saved you from your sin and He saved you to His mission. So it's not a question of whether you're to be in the, you know, whether you are one. It's just, are you playing? Are you in the game? He puts you on the team. Are you engaged? I live in the home that I live in on purpose. God put me there on purpose. And so, two uh, a year ago, if you were a member of the church, we filled this out. And so we pray, we talked about how we want to identify two people in our lives that we want to be praying for, and we're going to work over the next 12 months to seek to engage with the gospel. And we're going to be specific, and we're going to invite, and we're going to pray for them, and we're going to you know, have them in our homes, and we're going to seek to engage them for the gospel. So, so who of you? Who, how many of you were here you know, last year when we, when we put these name tags on this board? And So the majority of us. Everybody picked up two names. All right. And we put them up here. And we're going to pray for them. So did you pray for them? Did you have them over? Did you share the gospel with them? Over and over. Did you keep loving them? Did you keep having them over? Did you keep praying for them? And I don't, I don't call this out to like give you a drive-by guilting, though I don't mind doing that. But I do that because the word tells us the harvest is plentiful. And we know a bunch of people who need to be harvested. And so it's harvest, right? And I'm not saying we're going into every situation with our evangelism guns, boys. Hey, if you die today, you knew you're going to go to hell. Well, come on over, you can go to you can go to heaven. That's that's not how we do this. But we love people and we teach them of the mercy and the grace and the goodness that Jesus offers on the basis of what he did, not what we've done. And we point people over and over and over back to that. And we don't have to like, you know, be worried about, well, I don't know how to talk to somebody. And I I don't know how to be persuasive and clever with it. I'm the biggest, dorkiest person ever. It's not about your cleverness. It's not about your persuasiveness. Not that we necessarily are against those things. But it's the Holy Spirit who saves people. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates someone, quickens the heart, gives them faith to believe. So it's not up to you to... That's, that's why we don't do altar calls and manipulative things in here. And I don't need to, The Holy Spirit will save people. So we tell. That's why you tell. Just tell. That's all you got to do. Trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. There is a harvest. And so we tell, or, or maybe just invite people. You, that's even lower hanging fruit. Just invite people, like two or three people a week. Hey, where you go to church? You don't go to church? Well, not you come to Providence this week? When Sarah was, when Sarah and I were in college, Sarah didn't come to uh, faith in Christ. Well, she came to faith in Christ in 1999. She was 20 years old, and uh, we had a, a mutual friend uh, named Phil. And you can pray for him. He just moved to Germany with his. Uh, how many? They got three kids, right? Um. And uh, Sarah wasn't a believer, and so Phil invited her to church every single like week for three years. And Sarah's always coming up with you know some lie to get out of it without hurting his feelings for three years. But then when, when the Lord started kind of working in her heart, and she she heard the gospel, someone shared the gospel with her, and it started you know the Holy Spirit started messing with her. Um, like even what Phil had done in just inviting, that kind of laid a groundwork of something's not right in my life. If there is a God and I don't acknowledge like that was even just kind of late. So you don't even know what an invitation is going to do. And so let's pray, let's invite, let's share. Let's go our way as we're going our way. Let's be ambassadors for Christ. All right. And whether people hear you or reject you, it's not, it's not that. It's not you. I mean, look at verse 16 real quick. The one who hears you, Jesus is saying, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So notice this. Jesus is not asking us to do anything he hasn't done. He was sent by the Father. He went. And he's saying, hey, do what I did. Go. All right. And so go preaching the gospel in word, but we also have to preach it in need. And I think that's what Jesus is getting after in verse nine. There's some specific connotations here to what they're doing here. But in verse, as we kind of apply it to us, this idea of of healing the sick is kind of preaching the gospel, not just in word, but also in deed. And so let's, let's read a little bit more. Verse nine, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable that day for Sodom than for that town. So woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. And what's happening here is Jesus is getting real with people about the dangers of hell. And about how people who've heard the Gospel... Right, especially these cities that he's preached in, Capernaum. You you know, he's been in all these places that they've heard the gospel, and they continue to refuse to acknowledge Christ, Jesus, as the Christ, as the Messiah. That judgment is going to be worse for them than even Sodom, which is known in the Old Testament as a great city of immorality that God poured out fire upon and destroyed. All right. So that's what kind of he, he's, he's doing there. But, but as we're thinking about praying for laborers and, and going with the gospel message, that it can't just be in word. It also has to be in deed. All right. And so number three in your notes, you can write the healing the sick. All right. Heal the sick. It's just this idea of, of sharing the love of Christ requires both word and deed. Word and deed. It's not an either or. It's a both and. We don't want to just tell people, "Well, sorry, you know, your life stinks, but trust Christ and your eternal life will be great." Now, in this world, you're going to be sex trafficked, and your marriage is going to be a train wreck, or you're going to have dirty water, and you're going to live in extreme extreme poverty, or just suffer injustice. We're not going to worry. You need to just deal with that. But, 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 hey, repent and believe the gospel, when you have heaven someday. Now, you can, right? But the gospel. The love of Jesus and the light of Jesus invades dark places. And so as believers, we invade these dark places. We war against injustice. We fight against injustice. We speak up and serve those, the least of these as Jesus calls them. And there's a myriad of ways you can do this and be involved with. If you want to know something, I'd, be lo- I'd love to share with you and talk about a myriad of ways. But since it's the state of the church message, I want to talk about one. One in particular. A lot of people come to Christ as you take the gospel to them. A lot of people come to Christ as you invite them, and they come here and they meet you and they hear the gospel here. And so it may be that God's already at work in their heart. And, and they realize something's off, something's missing. I've been trying to find a joy and a fulfillment in my life in these material things or in these experiences, and it just never, you know, it never lasts. It never, it never continues. It's just a vanity of just, you know, there's, it's just meaningless. There's nothing that gives us sustaining fulfillment and peaceful joy that, that, that they intrinsically know is out there, but they can't seem to find. And then we're wired for it and they can't seem to find it. And so they think, well, maybe it's God. Maybe I need God in my life. And then here you come along. You've been inviting them to church for like three years. And you go and you hear the message. And so they they come along with you and they come along to Providence and you've been inviting them and inviting them and inviting them. And they come and they bring their family. And we absolutely want them to hear the Gospel. We want them, you know, we want to tell them about the person and the work of Jesus through the songs that we sing, through the prayers that we pray, through the readings that we do, through the ordinances that we observe, through our sermons, through our Sunday school lessons. But you know what else we want to do? Because we love God and because we love them and because we love their kids, we want to make sure their kids are safe. We want to make sure their kids are absolutely safe. We want to make sure that if they have a food allergy or they have a disease, that they're not going to get poisoned here. We know how to deal with that. We know how to communicate that across from Sunday school to the second hour of worship care. We want to make sure if they have a special need, we know what to do. We know why to do it and we know how to do it. We want to make sure that we take every precaution to prevent, you know, for example, an estranged couple, and and, and let's say a mom brings her kids and she drops them off, you know, and, and and dad knows about this and they're estranged, and dad comes in and he's trying to pick them up and she's in here, and we, we want to make sure that doesn't happen, right? And in this day and age, we'll make sure absolutely there's no way, shape, or form any type of sexual predator can get back there. That's why we. We've always done background checks. We do background checks down to 13 years old. If you are going to work with a kid, you will have a background check done. Period. It's just what we do. But it's because of all of these things and so much more that we're having these mandatory training sessions on the 15th and the 29th. Because here's the deal. We as a church have written policies on all this stuff. All right, It's been thought through. It's been put on paper. All of that. But policies do nothing if they're not known and followed. If they're not known and followed, so the 15th and the 29th, that's what we're trying to do. Make sure we know what they are. We had the, the consultants come in for a safety evaluation. We do a lot of things right. But there were a couple of questions they had that they asked about policies. And people were like, I'm not sure about that. And we're like, What? We can't have that. We got to make sure if you're working over there, Known and followed. But here's the deal. I don't want you to just be like, well, that's just for those who work with children. Those are just those who work with teenagers. As a church, this is really something that we all need to be involved with. So if we see something that looks a little out of place, a little weird, we can all make sure things are happening. So the 15th or the 29th, sign up, please. Please, we need to go through these things. All of us, I'm going to be going through them. My wife's going to be going through them. John's gonna go through them and he wrote the policies. And so it would be awesome if every single covenant member went through those things. I'm asking you, please. 15th through the 29th, your option. Pick one, we'll feed you. Be there, though, please. That's just a specific little, you know, housekeeping I can do right now as we're kind of talking about the state of the church, but pulling back up, that's just one application of how we can serve the church and the community. One application of how we serve and, and share not just in word, but also in deed. All right, we're, And we're called to both. And, and like when you think of it from a big picture, how many times have you heard stories of someone eventually coming to Christ because of the kindness they were shown? I think about my friend Sasha in Central Asia. He's a believer now because when he was paralyzed and lost all of his friends, there was a group of folks that rallied around him for no reason except that they wanted to love him because Jesus had loved them. They, When they were unlovable, because we all, because of our sin, are unlovable, All right, but Jesus steps in and loves us. That's what we do. We love people. Period. And through that, Sasha... Saw this love and why would anybody love me like this when I have nothing to give back to them? It's because we've been loved. We give because we've been given to. We love because we've been loved. The, the, you know, this is what the gospel does is how it infuses. And so Sasha now is a brother in Christ. All right, but eventually we have to open, not just sir, we do have to open our mouths and tell folks. And so we don't want to just tell folks in difficulty, just trust Christ, you know, and, but, but not, we're not going to practically help you in your life today. We don't want to do that. And we also don't, on the flip side, just want to help them in their life today, but never call them to repentance and faith, because then all we're doing is effectively air conditioning their ride to hell. Improving that little ride. It's a both end, all right? It's a both end, and so getting back to you know what's going on here, Jesus sends these seventy or seventy two out, and they're headed out, and they're preparing you know the way for Jesus in towns that he's going to travel through on his way to Jerusalem. And so they're praying, they're going, they're they're healing, right? They're serving both in word, sharing both in word and deed, and there are these miraculous things that are happening, and and so verse seventeen, the seventy two returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you every authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. All right. So this is not Jesus saying, hey, break out the snake boxes and pass the copperheads around and let's see Uh, you know, who the real evangelists are. The real ones are the ones that don't get bitten or if they get bitten, it doesn't do anything to them. That's not what Jesus is saying here, though if you go with me to Pine Log, I can point you to some places that do that. Whacked out places. That's not what Jesus is saying. What What Jesus is saying here is, you know, when they're like amazed, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He's saying, whoa, yeah, boys. I kicked Satan out of heaven. I was there. I threw him out long before I ever even created the world. I threw him out. He fell like lightning. This is my power. I, I kicked him out and now I've come to earth to conquer sin and death. And I've given you power over the demonic such that each time you exercise my power and see people freed from sin and death and come to Christ, it's like a little beat down of Satan, reminding him of his impending doom when I cast him forever into fire. And he suffers under my wrath and conscious eternal torment for all time. See, hell is not like this domain of Satan where he prevails. Hell is going to it was made for Satan. God is going to. Punish him for all eternity. Pour his wrath out on him there. Who is going to be the most punished in the face of all of eternity? Satan is. He's not going to rule over it. He's going to be getting beat down. Forever. And so these guys come back. They've seen these miraculous things. These guys and girls are 72 of them. They're all pumped and they're all jacked up about this power and about this victory that God's doing amazing things in them and through them as they're praying and as they're going and as they're healing Within verse twenty, Jesus says, "Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." And so Jesus is saying, "Don't rejoice primarily that demons obey you; rejoice primarily that your name is written in heaven." And so that's number four in your notes: rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Like as we face this task that's unfinished, don't ever forget that. Your name, if you are in Christ, is written in heaven. Right? We don't pray and go and heal and to, to try to get to heaven. We do that because we already have reservations there. Jesus has already written our name on the list. And that fact should be what fuels our praying and our going and our healing. How many of you ever uh, tried to try out for a, a sports team when you're you know growing up and, and didn't make the team? No shame here. No shame, no shame. Yeah, I didn't make the team. I was 5'2. I'm not gonna play basketball. Or or you know, maybe didn't do that, but um, you tried out for a play or something, right? And maybe, maybe you've never done that, but you've seen the, 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 the movie High School Musical. Don't judge me, I got four daughters. And it's pretty good, actually. But, you know, they post a list and you go and you check to see if your name is on there, if you've got the part or whatever. And you go and you check, name's not on the list. You tried it out for the basketball team, name's not on the list. You apply for a college, try to get in. They deny you. You didn't make the list. If you did get into some college, you uh, and you want to be in a fraternity or sorority, you rush that thing and you go to check if you got the list. Name's not on the list. You apply for a job, you don't get it. Denied. You didn't get put on that list. Go for a promotion at your job, denied. You don't get put on that list. You apply for a loan. Credit's not good enough. You don't get, you know, you don't, you're not on the list. Just over and over and over in your life. You you never seem to be on these literal or proverbial lists. The only list you seem to be on is the telemarketer list. Right? You didn't even make the do not call list. You're on the do call list. And so you got Akron, Ohio, Orlando, Florida calling you ten times a day. But you know what Jesus says? He says, I'll put you on my list. I'll write your name down. I choose you. And dear child, there's a, there's a kingdom coming. And there's a Father who loves you. There's an eternal inheritance, Jesus says, that I'll give you. He says, I'm building a place in heaven for you. I'm going to take you there and you can die and you can rise again and you can stand before the living God and He'll look you on the eye and He'll check His list and He'll say, come on in. You're on the list. Folks, if you are a believer in Christ, your name has been written in heaven. In the Lamb's Book of Life. You've got reservations. You're on the list of God's people. And He doesn't take people off the list once they're on. You're on. And He loves everyone who's on it. And so rejoice at that. And, and is it not a bit insane? I mean, still. I've been a Christian for almost 30 years and it's still insane to me. Why? Why? Would the God of the universe, who made everything, behold, you know, our God seated on the throne, like this big God of all things, universe creating, calling stars and galaxies out by name, creating everything out of nothing, ex nihilo. this, This God who knows everything about. He's so big, but then so close. He knows every single little thing about me, every thought, every sin. And he put me on his list. That is insane. He would put you on his list? So let your mind whirl over that for a minute. Why? Why? Why would He save you, love you, forgive you, adopt you, redeem you, bless you, pursue you, and now delight in you? That is a little bit insane in the best possible way. Like he's done this. Your name, if you are a Christian, is written in heaven. Jesus made a way for you through His life, through His death, through His resurrection. Your name is written in heaven. And He's saying, there's lots of things to rejoice over in life. That's great, but above all things, rejoice in this. Your name's written in heaven. And let's let that be what fuels us as we face this task that's unfinished. And so let's pray and let's go. All right? Let's pray for laborers. And let's be laborers in word and in deed. And let's rejoice that our name is written in heaven. Jesus is Lord. The future is bright. God is good. And so let's bring joy to others this year. You know how another way we say that? Let's worship and enjoy God. And lead others to do the same. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You would write our name. Anyone who would believe, You would write their name in heaven. You would write it with hands that bore nails for us. That took, Jesus, You took God's wrath that I deserve. For my sin, you took it in my place so that I don't have to. And you offer grace and forgiveness and life to anyone and all. No prerequisites. Just repentance. Just acknowledgement that we're sinners and that you died in our place for our sin. Just a receiving of the truth. And so, Father, would we be those ambassadors? Those of us who are believers. Would we be ambassadors? Would we be your spokespeople? Would we be... You are the king, and so that makes us royal speakers. Emissaries. Let us be that. And Father, for those in this room who have not yet believed, Holy Spirit, would you do your work? Would you bother them with the gospel and just be a pebble in their shoe that they cannot ignore? And give them faith to believe, regenerate their hearts by your supernatural power. Bless this year. 2017. Do great things in us, God, and do great things through us, God. And as you do, let us not rejoice primarily in what you do or in how you do it through us, but let our hope always and our joy always be founded in the fact that our names are written in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. In Jesus' name, amen.